Welcome to the New City Fellowship West End Sermon Podcast. We hope and pray this message equips, empowers, and encourages you. And now, today's sermon. Let me rush to thank our worship team. Give God a hand, clap and praise for our worship team for leading us to the very throne room of God. Thank you. Um, and give God a hand clap of praise for our kids for leading us in worship today. Amen, 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 amen. Um, so I'm Pastor Anthony Johnson. Um, I am a church planning apprentice here at the West End, at the West End site. Um, I, am, I am going to be leading our core values series I'm not leading. I'm going to be preaching in, a, in one of the sermons in the series. Last week, Pastor Shaper um, so brilliantly reminded us of God's gospel power and our adoption as God's children. This week, I'm going to highlight the core value of team ministry. My, the scripture that I'm going to start off with is going to be Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. So I'm going to have a number of scriptures that I'm going to go to. They're listed in your, your bulletin. Um, and yeah, so please turn to Mark 1 chapter, I mean, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. And when you get there, say amen. All right, let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for another opportunity to be in your word. Um, we thank you for the opportunity to be together. We pray that you just meet us today. Lord, give me... Clarity of thought, concision of speech, Lord, and a boldness to speak the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And give me a bold love for your people that love come out and your love come out as well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to start, and I want you to read along with me and follow along with me, rather, in Mark chapter 1, verses, starting at verse 14. And we just, we just read as such. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is now, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going, on, and going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and, <clears throat> sorry, I lost my plate, and John, his bro- brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants and followed him. To- today I'm going to tag our time together, squad up, Rediscovering the treasure of team ministry. So y'all stay that with me. Squad up. So y'all don't have to say the next part. So we're going to rediscover the lost treasure of team ministry. Growing up in the African-American context, there's a connection between music and believing you're not alone. The theme song of of good times ended on, ain't we lucky, we got them. It it highlights the we because it it, it was saying no matter what you and your family was going through, 
And no matter the bad times, you are going to run up in some, into some good times, and you are going to need to celebrate those good times together. The OJs at an African-American family reunion, when they turn on family reunion, that you know it's time to be together. Y'all not feeling me, so maybe you've been at a black gathering and they, they turned on the Marshall Griffiths uh, electric boogie, otherwise known as the electric slide, and everybody goes to the dance floor and they begin to slide. Okay, y'all still not with me. Let me, get, let me hit you with this. Maybe they turn on the Mr. C's, the cha-cha slide, and everybody goes to the, dan to the dance floor and begin to slide. Well, well, some of y'all, dang, dang, maybe you heard this, maybe you were there. Maybe they turn on the wobble, and everybody hits the dance floor, and they begin to, to wobble as a reminder that you're not in this life alone. Now, now here's another thing growing up in the African-American context where music and community was connected. Gospel music. I don't know, I, maybe I was the only black kid that grew up like this, but on Saturday morning, when Phyllis Mosey turned on that gospel music, it was no questions, it was no argument. You got up, you picked up the cleaning supply, and you went, and you went to work. You knew not to say, Mama, why I gotta do this? Because you already knew the answer. You live in this house, you messed up this house, and you, not, and you are a part of this family. In other words, you are a part of a team. Church, I, I wonder if the moral failure from some of our spiritual leaders and the inertia of our church to address some of the ills in the world is because we lost that sense of being a team. A team to tell you when you're doing wrong. A team to tell you that, hey, we may have gone a long way, but we still got a ways to go on this journey. A, a team to bring you back to what really matters. Church, I, I'm, I'm talking about a team. Church, if we don't rediscover the sense of team, and I'm gonna date myself maybe, we gonna go the way of Blockbuster. And if you don't know what Blockbuster is, that's exactly my point. <laughs> so how do we get out of the mess that we find ourselves in today, church? And I'm glad you asked that, because I'm going to tell you, we turn to Jesus. And I, wanna, I want us to chop up this thought this evening. In order to fulfill the church's mission, we must follow Jesus' motto by squatting up. In order to fulfill the church's mission, we must follow Jesus' model by squatting up. Now, if you're wondering what squatting up means, let me tell you. In hip-hop culture, your team is known as your squad. So, when you go to find people to be on your team or your squad, we call that squatting up. Y'all with me? So thus, our main point today, in order to fulfill the mission of the church, we have to follow Jesus' model by squatting up. In other words, we're going to follow Jesus' model by building a team. And you say, you may ask, Pastor, 
How are we going to do that? How are we supposed to squad up? I'm glad you asked, and if you didn't ask, I'm going to tell you anyhow. So we squad up by seeking out a squad from jump, meaning from the start, by sharing with the squad, and by staying in a squad. Now we see that where we're going. Let's get into our first point together. We must seek out a squad from jump. If you notice, we're in, in Mark 1, verses 14 through 15, gives us background information for what's going on in verses 16 to, through 20. In other words, it's telling us Jesus' activity before we get to verse 16. And if we read, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So, in other words, let me, let, let me give you another way to think about this. What the text is trying to say in those two verses is, as after John was arrested, as Jesus was preaching in Galilee, now here comes verse 16. As he was doing this, passing alongside of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Let me, let me pull something out for you, church. When we typically read this passage, what we, we think that verses 14 through 15, since we see that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. We camp out right there. But I want to put before you, church, that what, that's, not what Mark, that's not what Mark is trying to highlight right here. What Mark is trying to highlight is Jesus' activity. So, so let's see. So what is Jesus doing? So he's passing along Galilee. Who does he see? Simon and Andrew. Uh, can you go to the next slide, please? Thank you. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, if you look at Mark, Jesus really hasn't started doing ministry like that yet. And so what Mark is saying, in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what he's doing is he's looking for a team. How do we know? In verse 17, what does he say? Follow me. Like, you don't get no more team than that. That means, come on with me, be with me, be on a team together. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, I'm going to leave you with a question that's on the side. Have you ever wondered what it was about what Jesus said made them follow them? Y'all get, like, maybe you could have time and camp, camp out on that that I don't have right now, but that just, that just popped to my mind. But, but again, like I said, that the main thing is showing that Jesus is trying to find a team. So how do we know this further? Let's check out uh, chap, uh, verse 19. In going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately... He called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So, you see, we see first four verses right here that, dim, that is talking about Jesus building the team. And so I put before you again, church, that what Mark is trying to highlight is that before Jesus launched out on the mission, before he started doing everything that he was doing, thought it was necessary that he squads up from the jump. So we just saw 
there's two verses that gave us background information, and then there's four verses that tell us Jesus' activity, and his activity was building a team. So again, church, church, we must follow the model and squad up from jump. One of my favorite movies coming up was Blues Brothers. Now, Blues Brothers tell the story of uh, Elwood and Jay. They lived in a Catholic orphanage, and this orphanage was about to be, be closed down. <laughs> and so they went on a mission to go try to fix this, fix, this, uh, fix this orphanage. And they went to go recruit their old band members. They understood that, hey, if we're going to save this orphanage and get the money for, for, for it to save it, we're going to need our squad. So before we even start the mission, we got to go squad up. So they gave the, finest, the uh, finest recruiting line that you can get to be on a team. They would come to their old band members, and maybe y'all remember this line. They would say, we're on a mission from God. And then they would gather their band. They gathered the band, and they saved their orphanage. I definitely gave the uh, Cliff Notes version of that. But they saved the orphanage. But what they understood, before they started the mission of saving an orphanage, they needed to squad up. In church, the same thing. We, before we go out and try to do great things with God, we got to squad up. Now, I know you want to preach the gospel. I know we want to preach the gospel of forgiveness to the lost in our community. Can I remind you before we go fishing, squad up, church. I, I know you want to go feed the hungry, but can, can I remind us before we satisfy the, the hunger of the hungry let us not starve ourselves of a squad. Now, I know you want to work to end systemic injustice in the world, but can, but can I remind us, before we aim to end the dark night of systemic evil, let, let's squad up. I know we're working through racial reconciliation, but before we try to find the bomb for the healing of our racial wounds, can, can we stop for a minute and squad up? I know we got some mercy ministry warriors up in here. And can I remind us, before we take on the battle of mercy ministry, don't forget to arm ourselves with the, te with the team. I know we want to find ways to bring resources to our community, but before we make our community a land full, flowing with milk and honey, can I remind us to squad up? Saints, we got to squad up. God has made us independent from sin, but he ain't make us independent from the church. And so what makes us think we can accomplish the most important ministry in the world apart from God if King Jesus didn't even do that? Do we really think we're better than our king? Church, now that we know that we need to start off in the squad, that brings me to my second point is, we must follow Jesus' model for squatting up by sharing with the squad. I'm gonna have us turn to Mark chapter three, um, and it'll be, if you got your Bible, if you wanna follow along in the bulletin, we're gonna take a quick look at Mark chapter three, verses 13 through 14. And I'm gonna read. And he went up on the mountain, and he called to him 
those whom he desired, and they came to him. So Jesus is in his ministry. He's doing work. He's healing the sick. He's preaching the gospel. He's doing all of that. Then he goes up on a mountain and calls people that he desired. So what was Jesus doing when he was calling those folks up to the mountain? Let's find out. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. So what, what they were going to be doing so that they, that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. So what was Jesus doing? He, he was being sent out and he was preaching and he's welcoming a team to share the load with him in this passage right here. And it says that he calls the, called those 12 apostles. So Jesus is setting it up so he shares the load with the apostles. Let us look at chapter 6. Verses 7 through 12. If we look at verse 7, what we're going to see is that we know that Jesus set them aside for the purpose of sharing the load. Now what we're going to see in verse 7 is kind of like he's bringing that thing to completion. He's saying, I set, apart, set you apart for this uh, purpose. Now, I'm gonna, now you're going to go and do it. So what does he do? He called the 12, just like we saw in, in chapter 3. And he began to send them out two by two, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Now, I want to highlight this in verse 7 because it didn't come out in, in chapter 3. Jesus gave them authority. He gave them a piece of his rule, a piece of his reign. That Greek word right there for authority has that sense with it. It has that sense of, hey, did, like a reign and authority, and Jesus shares it with his apostles. Now, there is rich stuff in verses 8 through 11. So do y'all hear me saying that? But unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that rich stuff. So I'm going to take us to verses 12 through 13. So, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Who did that? Y'all can answer. Jesus. If you said Jesus, that's the right answer. So let me, let me give you a hint. When I, I'm going to do it again, and the answer is going to be Jesus. All right. <laughs> and they cast out demons. Who did that first? There y'all go. Amen. <laughs> and they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Who did that first? So if the apostles are doing the things that Jesus was doing in their ministry, that means that they were sharing the load with Jesus. Now, I'm going to hurt Pastor C's feelings, but I got to stick with it, brother. But in the early 2000s, the Los Angeles Lakers were the most dominant team in the NBA in the early 2000s. On that team was Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. They were so good that, no, like, we was all trying to rock purple and gold. No matter what, we was trying to rock that, like, except other people. But we're not going to talk about those people. But they, they Shaquille O'Neal was the best center in the league at that time, the best player in the league, a top five player. Kobe Bryant was the best shooting guard in the league at that time, a top five player. Now, what tends to happen when you get two talented people together, they butt heads. Because what they think in their mind is, bro or sis, you should just sit right there in that chair 
let me do my thing, and you watch. And then the other talented person is just like, hold on, no, no, no. I'm talented. I'm the talented one. You sit over there in that chair, and you watch me work. So Shaq and Kobe, RIP Kobe and Gigi, but it hits just like that. It wasn't until they learned to share the load together that they were able to end up winning three championships, which is them sharing the load is summed up in this play, one of my favorite highlights to see. So in this picture, at the top left, you have Kobe Bryant after he done crossed, he done crossed Scottie Pippen so bad that he got his ankles in his pocket. So he goes past Scottie Pippen. Then, then what you see is Kobe throwing that ball up, and it looks like, you know, Kobe Bryant back in the day, you know what I'm saying, used to do some crazy shots. And then at first, you like, if you're cheering for the Lakers and Kobe Bryant threw it up, you're like, Kobe, what you doing, man? Kobe always doing that, bro. And then all of a sudden, Shaquille O'Neal comes out of the grace with me. I see he comes out of nowhere with the one hand in. Bam! And then he runs down the court, daps Kobe up, and I don't know why, but Shaq tried to jump in somebody's arm. You had to love that man to try to catch him. I don't know what his teammate was thinking, but that's a different story. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm silly. But, um, but it was that place summed up them sharing the load together. That in order to win championships, they shared the load together. They did that to win NBA championships. How much more will the Church of Christ gain when we share the load? What keeps us from sharing the load with other believers? Maybe it's pride that keeps us from sharing. Is it that we fear if we share the load, we can't get all the glory? Does fear of simply asking for help keep us from sharing the load? Does fear of showing weakness keep us from sharing the load? Does fear of being a bother to other people, amen, this is sometimes my problem, keep us from sharing the load? Do we really deep down in our hearts believe that the work ultimately depends on us. I, now, I don't know how the enemy talked to you, but the enemy get in my ear, and he started, when I'm working on a team and I'm working with other believers, he started telling me, hey, hey, bro, them other people ain't no good. You know this thing always depend on you. Maybe I'm the unho unholy one in the, in the bunch, but hey, that's how the enemy talked to me. And you can figure out how he talked to you, but that's how he talked to me. Church, we have a big mission and a big God. But let's also remember God has given us another gift of a big squad, the church. Let us share the load, saints. God meant us to star in our roles, not to be the only star in the show. Now that we follow in Jesus' model, we know that following Jesus' model for squatting up means we start with a squad and we share with a squad. We're going to find out what it means to stay in a squad. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 31. And let's look at it together. Now, this is after 
Peter has just said Jesus was the Christ. What that means is, what Peter just said is, Jesus, you are the person that's going to set everything right in the world. You're going to make everything right, and we're looking for you to do that thing. Okay? And so, after that, in verse 31, Jesus began to teach his disciples something. He began to teach his disciples that you, that not you, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to rise again. But one of his disciples didn't like that so much. And he pulled Jesus aside and he rebuked him. Here it is in verse 31, in verse 32. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And I love this part. And he said this plainly. So what that means is Jesus was straight up. He didn't like use no metaphors, no similes, no analogies. He just said, look, man, I'm going to die and y'all got to get ready. So he said it plainly. That's what that means. That's my paraphrase of it anyway. And then Peter took him aside, and he began to rebuke them. So it's Peter that was the one that was mad. He pulled Jesus aside. In other words, and he rebuked him. And I was like, look at this. Like, we got to think about this for a second, because sometimes we try to sanitize Scripture. Let's look at, look at what the author is saying. In the Bible, rebuke means... You pulled Jesus. He pulled Jesus. Look at the audacity of this brother. He grabbed Jesus by the arm and said, here, come here. Boom. Pulled Jesus to the sky. And do you, can you imagine, I want you to imagine Peter, like, I don't know what his complexion was, but I imagine he got a vein sticking out of his head saying, man, that's not going to happen to you, bro. You tripping, Jesus. And I imagine that cuss words was coming out of Peter's mouth. And you say, well, pastor, how do you... How, what makes you say that? Let's do a little bit of uh, contextual study. Peter was a blue-collar fisherman from Galilee. It's unlikely that Peter, when he was heated in a moment, didn't use a few choice words. I come from a few blue-collar family members, and I... When they get heated, like, it's unlikely. A Peter Kurt was cussing at Jesus. But check this out. But turning to his disciples, he rebuked Peter. There go that word again. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So, Pete, so Peter, like, went for Jesus. Then Jesus... Went back at Peter. Now, again, we like to have a sanitized version of Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? That he, he just kind of floats around and just talks to people in a calm voice. You know what I'm saying? Putting his hand out just like he is, he is a long head hip, hippie that ain't about that life. You know what I'm saying? But that ain't, that ain't it. Jesus came back at Peter with the same force. And Jesus probably cussed at Peter too because that's what rebuke means. Now, in hip-hop culture, you know what we say? Peter and Jesus, they got into it. They was into it. They was into it, bro. Like, it, Jesus had a vein popping out of his hand, his, his uh, forehead. Peter has a vein popping out of his forehead. They going at each other. And how do we know that Jesus kind of probably like said something more than more, like had a few cuss words. How many of you have been so heated you don't call somebody Satan? That means that you mad, man. You, you know what I'm saying? You not using, like, the, the lead up to saying Satan, you Satan, isn't nice and pretty. 
Again, again, let's do contextual study. Who was Jesus? Jesus was a poor carpenter from the other side of the tracks of Nazareth. So Peter came at him. You ain't finna come at me like that, bro. Let's go. So we just gotta, you know what I'm saying, see this thing for what the authors are saying. Now, they had conflict, but it didn't separate their team. How do we know? I can't get into the richness of verses, the next few verses, but I'm going to say this. Jesus taught. As a coach, players should worry when I stop teaching you. That means I'm done with you, and I don't think my words are worth your time. Jesus teaches Peter. A player that's given up on a coach doesn't listen to that coach at all. But Peter listens to Jesus. They got into it, and they got into it hard. But they found a way to stay together as a team. How do we know that? Again, the other verses, I know those are rich those are, that's a rich passage, and I just don't have time to get into it. So I just want to acknowledge that. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 2. This is six days, so can I give, I'm going to give you my paraphrase version. After six days, after Jesus and Peter got into it, Jesus took with him, who? Peter and James and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. They were into it. They got into it. It was an emotional exchange, but they stayed together in mission. And check this out. They weren't phased. They weren't phased. Church, in the midst of conflict, stay in the squad. In her album, Unplugged, Alicia Keys sings a song called Unbreakable. Unbreakable speaks to staying in relationship with someone you love, even when it's hard. Now, some of us are old enough to remember when TV went off, um, you know, like, they, like there was a certain time where that thing just shut off and they didn't have nothing else that was planned. And then some of us also remember coming up and they didn't have cable. Maybe I'm the only one that had this going on for me, but this is how they, you didn't have cable, so you had an antenna, and that antenna only stopped working when it was something that you were, so I'm going to get emotional about this, something that you wanted to watch, and the an antenna just stopped working for no reason. And then you sit in the room like this, like they're trying to get in, mad because somebody don't walked in the room and messed up the signal. <laughs> Or sometimes the TV station would have technical difficulty and they say, stay tuned, we're going to come back. We're going to be, stay, stay with us, we got to fix some things, but we're going to come back. So this is the imagery um, the uh, illustrious theologian Alicia Keys has in mind when she says this, we got to stay tuned because there's more to see. Through the technical difficulties, we might have to take a break but y'all know we'll be back next week. I'm singing, this love is unbreakable. Church, it ain't if, but it's when we get into conflict. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Look, we tackling complex issues as a church. 
We're trying to figure out how to bring mercy to those that are living in poverty in correct systemic injustice. When the conflict comes in that, and how we wrestle with these things, stay tuned, because these are emotional issues. And all of us is on the same side because we want to see these things be made right. But when we disagree on how we go about it, stay tuned. What does biblical reconciliation look like in the West End? There's going to be conflict that we're going to have because we're going to think different. But stay tuned, church. How do you contextualize the gospel for the, the West End? We ain't going to agree on everything, but when we disagree, stay tuned, church. How do we develop ind indigenous leaders? Stay tuned because we're going to disagree about that. What does the kingdom witness look like in the West End, in the midst of, what does that look like? Stay tuned, because we're not going to agree on everything about that. What does the kingdom look like when we go plant churches in northern St. Louis? We're not going to agree on what that looks like, but stay tuned, church. But let me take a moment to say what that doesn't mean. There are some of us in this room today, some of us online, some of us who may hear this in the podcast later, that does not mean stay in church situations that are spiritually, emotionally, or physically unhealthy. If you are emotionally unsafe or spiritually unsafe or physically unsafe at a church, you, you are not sinning by saying we're going to choose health or I'm going to choose health and leave that situation. What's your biblical precedent for that? When Jesus gave the sermon in the synagogue and they want to throw him off the mountain, he didn't let him throw them off the mountain. He left that church because it was unsafe. So when I'm saying stay tuned, I'm not stay, saying stay tuned in unhealthy situations. I'm saying stay tuned in the midst of wrestling through the hardness of figuring out what the mission, the vision, and the values look like. And we're going to stay tuned and be together. Now, if you are listening astutely and you heard, heard everything that I said, at some point you're going to be like, Star from the star with a team from the jump. Share the load with a team. Stay in a team with conflict. That sounds good. But if I'm being honest, I ain't gonna be able to do that. You're right. We can't do that in our own power. We got to remember, ultimately, it took a squad to save us. It took a squad to save us. When Adam ate that fruit in the garden a long, long time ago, we were faced with sin and death and no hope. Yet God the Father did not give up. He didn't give up on his children, church. He gave them a promise that someday, there was going to be a person born from the womb of the woman that was going to crush evil in its effects. See, I see Jesus when the father said, who am I going to send to go save 
my people. I, I see Jesus say, send me, I, I, I'll go. And you may ask, Pastor, how do you know that he, he, he said, send me, I'll go, I'll go. Let me remind you of Hebrews when it said that when Jesus endured the cross, it didn't say it was because of obligation. It didn't say that it, it was because of the mission. It said it was because of the joy that was set before him. You see, brothers and sisters, it was joy that had him take on flesh and come down to earth. It was joy that had him be born in a manger with no health care in Bethlehem. It was joy that accepted being a refugee at the age of two. It was joy that humbled him to be baptized by his cousin and have the spirit descend, descend upon him. It was joy that led him to be tempted in the desert. It was joy that had him live in the hoods of Nazareth and identify with all the poor folks in the world. It was joy that let him accept misunderstanding from a few family and a few friends. It was joy that made him sit through a Sam trial hostile to brown skin man. It was joy that submitted him to a state-sponsored public lynching. It was joy that took the nails in his arms. It was joy that took the nails in his feet. It was joy that took the spear in his side. It was joy that kept him in the grave three days. But what my Bible tells me is that three days later, it was joy that got him up. How many out here that know that it was joy when you was in the club, it was joy that got you out the club. When you were about to be in sin and death, it was joy that picked you up. It turned you around and it placed your feet on a solid ground. If you know it was joy, give God praise, church. Thanks for listening and God bless.